Chapter Eight of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Tom and Peter talk things over. There was another scene during that first day at the Randolph house that is not common to the exercises of hotel openings. It was but a few moments before the family from the little house, as the Randolph home was coming to be called, were to return. The carriage had been sent for to take the invalid back, and they were all gathered in what was to be called his room, though every one of them felt in their hearts that he was never likely to occupy it again. "'There is one thing, father, that I would like very much,' Tom said, "'though I am afraid you are not strong enough for it.' The wan-faced invalid turned smiling eyes on his young son, and said heartily, I am strong enough for a good deal to-day. I feel that this look at the new departure for the good of the cause has given me great breaths of strength. What is it? I should like, and Tom's voice trembled with the earnestness of his thought, I should like to have this house and all its belongings consecrated to the work, and I should like to have the first united prayer offered under this roof to be led by your voice." "'I am strong enough for that,' Mr. Randolph said, and there certainly was a sound of strength in the voice, and they knelt about him while he prayed. If Mr. Pearson could have heard this prayer, and noticed with what words he was remembered, it might have caused him to think again over his decision that he could not possibly do such a queer thing as to take to patronizing a temperance hotel. In the evening, when the house was quiet, Tom sat alone in the room that of all the rooms was his favorite, the long, light, cheerful room that bore over its windows that gold-lettered sign. No human being knew the hopes that centered around that room, nor the prayers that had already gone up from it. His reverie was broken by the sound of a light tap on the door, and Peter Armstrong was admitted. He came for directions concerning the disposal of some new furniture and, that being settled, Tom pushed a chair toward him. "'Sit down, Peter, and let's talk things over. There has been so much to do that we have not seemed to find time for any talk.' Peter had changed considerably in a short space of time. His form was rounding out into manly proportions, and he was learning to take more pains with the details of his dress. He had been chosen by Tom for the confidential clerk of the establishment, that is, he called him so when they talked together, and he certainly was very confidential with him. Now, as he leaned back and surveyed the handsome room again, he said, Peter, this room is my special pride and joy. I couldn't begin to tell you how much I think of it, nor how many plans I have in which it takes a prominent place. What is the first one, and how is it to be done? This manner of asking far-reaching questions was one of the elements that comprised the essential difference between Peter Armstrong and many other young men. It was this that made him so interesting a companion to Tom, and that made that young man so eagerly detail all his plans. "'The first one,' he repeated, laughing a little, "'I'm not sure that I can tell you.' It begins whenever we can get a chance, and reaches out in every direction. Snares and traps and nets and all sorts of counter-charms I have in mind. We have to make small beginnings, of course. There is only you and me. But we shall grow. 
there are others who can be found to help us there is ever so much to be done and do you know i am anxious to begin first among the strangers young men who have come here recently who have no home and no comforts and nothing to read and no influence to keep them out of temptation the city is full of such and my heart seems to go out to them as to no others while tom poured out these eager sentences peter sat listening with his steady gray eyes growing keener and his whole face showing rapt attention it is working out the old promise he said as tom paused fishing after men isn't it the old promise oh yes you mean the one that was made to peter bible so it is i had not thought of it i will make you fishers of men and the condition follow me yes we are called the commission is ours and the promise i had forgotten that there was a promise that encourages one doesn't it by the way peter i was wonderfully interested in your following up your namesake but so many things have pushed in between that I forgot about it. Are you studying his character yet? Yes, indeed, Peter said, speaking with great relish. It is a character that will bear studying a good while. Where are you now? Well, I go slowly, and to tell you the truth, I gave him up for a good while. I said I would never have anything more to do with him so long as I lived. I tell you now I never was so disgusted with anyone in my life as I was with that Peter. Tom leaned back in his chair and indulged in a hearty laugh. It was impossible not to be amused with this Peter's queer way of saying things, and Peter was blessed with that rare sweetness of disposition that allowed people to laugh and be amused over his ways without taking offense thereat. What disgusted you? the laugher said, when he could speak again. Oh, that awful and terrible time at the trial! I never imagined he could be so bad as that. Not only denied him, you know, but swore about it, and said over and over that he knew nothing about him. Why, the first night I read that, I shut up the Bible, and I was just in a storm. It seemed as though I could never stand it. Talk about his cutting off that servant's ear— why, it seemed to me that Peter's whole head ought to be cut off, right straight. And I felt as though, if I'd been there, I'd been willing to undertake the job. It was impossible for Tom not to laugh. This entire process of dissecting Peter's character was entirely new to him. It was no laughing matter to the young man before him, as his glowing eyes showed. It seemed almost impossible for him to understand how Tom could laugh, and presently that gentleman sobered, and taking in some of the solemnity of the story, said, "'Tell me about it, Peter. I am wonderfully interested, and don't think I am laughing at the cruel story, but there is something very quaint about the way in which you tell it.' "'It was no laughing matter to me,' Peter said earnestly. "'I'll never forget that lesson. I went around for more than a week, feeling more puffed up than I can tell you, and all the while I was mad at Peter. I felt as though I could never forgive him, and some of the time it seemed to me that if I ever came across him in heaven I should feel just exactly like twitting him about having denied his master. I got cured of that in a way that I'll never forget. There was something so intensely solemn in his voice and manner that Tom said, speaking gently and with a touch of reverence in his voice, 
Do you mind telling me how you were cured? Peter arose suddenly from the low seat that he had taken, and went to the window, evidently not to look out upon the brightly lighted street below, but to get the mastery over some deep feeling that was stirred within him. He came back presently, and there was a hushed and tremulous sound to his voice as he said, I did it myself. Don't you think I denied him myself? I, that had been mad at Peter for more than a week, went and did that very thing, and without being afraid of my life either as he was. Do you mind telling me what you did? Tom asked again, and his voice was very gentle and sympathetic. I went to a place where they were laughing and talking and making fun of religion, and I never said a word, not a word. I just said by my actions, as plain as ever Peter did, I never knew him. And what did I do it for? Why, just for some miserable little shamefaced feeling about being on the weak side. To think of my finding fault with Peter. They made fun of Jesus Christ's very words, don't you think? And I sat there as dumb as though he had never given me a tongue. What people could you have possibly got among? Tom asked in wondering tones that in this age of the world could have made their fun out of such material. Oh, they were respectful people enough. They thought so anyhow. They were having a church sociable, and I thought I had got a lift in the world when I got a chance to go there. And I never came away from any place just dead ashamed of myself before. Tom's curiosity deepened every minute. What strange experience could this young man have had that the memory of it could so cloud his face and solemnize his voice? "'Will you tell me what happened?' he said. "'I cannot imagine what could have so overwhelmed you.' "'Why, it isn't a long story to tell. They played games, and they quoted Bible at each other, and made fun of it, and roared over it, even the very words of Jesus Christ himself.' until I was ashamed and afraid, and yet I didn't say a word, not a single word. If ever a fellow denied his master in the world, I did. I'll never forget the way I felt that night when I went home. I was all in a storm of trouble. I thought of Peter right away, and of all the scorn I had felt for him, and then it seemed to me that I never felt so sorry for anybody in all my life. I remembered that he went out and wept bitterly, I could understand that. I felt as if I could feel his tears in my heart. It seemed to me that if I could only weep bitterly it would do me good, but the tears wouldn't come. I walked up and down the room, and I didn't know what to do. It seemed as if I was too wicked to pray, as if I ought not to ask Jesus to hear me or forgive me. Then I went to wondering what Peter did, and how his master treated him after the resurrection. You see, I had got so mad at Peter that I had given up reading about him. I got my Bible and turned over the leaves to see if there was any account of Peter meeting Jesus. And what do you think was the very first thing my eyes alighted on? I don't know, Tom said, interest and sympathy in his voice. What was it? Just this word. Go tell my disciples and Peter. Just think of that a special message to Peter, the one who had treated him the worst. I tell you I never had anything melt me like that, and I never heard anything like it before either. I got down on my knees right away, and before ever I had asked his forgiveness, I thanked him for that blessed message to poor Peter. 
Tom's eyes were dim when this little story was concluded. There was something about it that touched him wonderfully. Not the least marked feature was the fact that the conscience of the Peter before him was very tender. His own conscience throbbed with the thought of how many times he had denied his Lord in ways that he and the world called little. Peter, he said, rising suddenly and laying his hand tenderly on the young man's shoulder, you must help me in this work. You must put your whole soul into it and give it the best thought of your heart, and to that end we must pray much about it. Do you know I feel a deep interest in our first guest? Let us try to catch him in our net. Shall we kneel together now here and ask the master's help? And so for the second time that day the Randolph house was consecrated with the voice of prayer. End of chapter 8